Welcome to Old Town New World at Millstone Pizza in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm Chris Gervais. And I'm Jason Broadwater. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town USA. Yeah, okay. Robin here today. Thanks for joining us, Robin. No problem. Glad to be here. And um, we're going to start off talking about net neutrality. Now, being kind of you know an internet, being an internet company and being involved in a lot of internet things, I, I need to know more about where this where this is, this net neutrality argument, and what it even is. So, Robin, let's start with the kind of um, and, and Robin, you know, is not an expert on this, but he knows a heck of a lot more than me and Chris do. So that's starters, right? So. Let's start with the explain to me like I'm five version of what net neutrality is even addressing, what this even is. First of all, I think that before we make a claim like that, we need to have a net neutrality information contest <laughs> before we just declare Robin the winner. <laughs> Whoever can make the most entertaining definition of net neutrality will oh, okay. be the winner. You can win that. Yeah, you can totally win that. <laughs> um, yeah, so net neutrality. If you're five, if you're a five-year-old, I would explain it like this. <laughs> Uh, Which a significant portion of our audience is five-year-olds. <laughs> We're big with the five-year-old market. Yeah, we have no idea why. No, but um, so net neutrality um, is this idea that that the internet should deliver the information at the same speed and uh, you know convenience to every person who has access. So it shouldn't be it shouldn't be altered like. Wait, from every source or for to every person? To every person. So it, but is it about whether you have dial-up or not, or is it about if certain content publishers can push it as fast? It's about whether um, it's about whether um, internet service providers can discriminate uh, on the speed that they deliver service based on the content. Okay. Um, now clearly you can't do it based on who you're delivering it to, right. but the way things work is, you know, you can charge more. So for example, um, a, a local ISP could, internet service provider could say, well, you know, we don't we don't like Netflix anymore, and so we're going to slow their thing way down or charge Netflix more to have the same speeds that other people have. Is that kind of yeah, yeah? That's the um, ramification. One oh. ramification behind that. Um, so the argument is that you know businesses want to be able to um, keep their costs down and still you know serve as many people like the ever-growing number of people who want internet. And then on the other side of that, the government is trying to balance um, the fairness of, of being able to you know the ability to control like who you know who pull, pulls the reins and delivering information right, yeah. So it's, like, a, it's a great deal of power. It really is, man, because if you think about it, you know, access to the internet has become basic infrastructure. So if you have an ISP controlling that, if they're not, I mean, it's kind of like water and sewer, you know, it's just basic infrastructure now. Yes, yeah, a utility. And so if you have a commercial company that's an ISP that's also providing other services, I guess they could start kind of strangling out, uh, making people pay for certain things or whatever, you know, to try to make their content be uh, first or, right. and so there's that angle. Right. But what about, I mean, is it, does it have anything to do with um, 
trying to provide access infrastructure to people, like run fiber and stuff, or it's not about that? It's about controlling speeds, like intentionally controlling speeds. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. about intentionally... Um, so it's like you could have a fast internet and you could have a slow internet. I mean, people, you already have this to some extent, but um, it's based on what you pay for. But in theory, when you have internet service, you should be able to watch Netflix, right? So, right. And you shouldn't have to pay extra to watch Netflix. And it, and it could stifle um, entrepreneurial business development, like when Netflix invented Netflix. If they can't invest and invent something because they don't know that they might get strangled out of certain marketplaces because a local ISP might say, well, you're going to have to pay a premium for those download speeds. I mean, I, are, are, what's the argument for the opposite of net neutrality? I mean, it's a debate, right? So yeah. what are people on the other side saying that this is a good thing to be able to, to do this? Or do you know? Well, I think it's um, it's a matter of it's a amount, the amount of flow. It's about capacity to some extent. So the, the service providers say, so there's so much demand from Netflix. All right. I've heard some statistics that say like, at certain times of the day, Netflix makes up like some huge, like 40 something percent of internet traffic. Wow, really? And that's, wow. Based, on, that's based on like the amount of, that's the number of bits going, you know. So they could uh, theoretically argue, or not theoretically, they could argue that, hey, you can't come into this space and dominate it with your content and your mechanism, and so you're gonna have to pay more. Mm -hmm. If you want high speed, you're gonna have to pay more. Yeah, they would say that it's a cost to them, right? Because they have to. That makes them have to uh, change their infrastructure to be able to provide more uh, to more people. Gotcha. How much of that 40% is quantum leap? Um, I would say like two percent. Two percent? That's shocking. That's truly shocking. But that's only. But only 60% of that. 60% of that 2% okay, is people watching Quantum Leap. Yeah. I yes. think I think your I think your research is a flawed and I think Your methodology is flawed, sir. <laughs> I think the quantum leap number is way higher. So um so the core of it is sort of like it's about how because from the get-go, I mean, just it seems like every little new facet of of the web and, and, and honestly computers at large is is this new version of like throughout history, if there's a new technology, it is quickly uh, sort of categorized and put away in this. It's like how how do we make the most money out of this? How does this work? You know, if there's this thing that exists. How do we divvy this thing up? And so it's this becomes this you know sort of capitalist thing. How does that fine tune that? How does it? That's that's what then then figure out from there. Whereas the internet and is completely even the opposite. Continually, there continually is these roadblocks that are about <clears throat> a new way of doing things and a new open access to everything. You know, it's fascinating man because the internet was born. I mean, <clears throat> lots of the great aspects of the internet were born from the government. You know, DARPA um, and, and other uh, kind of government-funded projects and stuff that have really made it amazing. So, yet, it you know, it's usually the capitalist marketplace that innovates. Right. And, and it's so, usually the government that, that um, cramps, cramps yeah, that innovation. Right, 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 exactly. So what they've done is created a platform where the capitalist market can innovate, which the platform is the internet. But the actual development of that platform has been either uh, from the government or from open source. I mean, like Linux was an open source project, right. and most of the in internet runs on Linux. I mean, and don't quote me on that. <laughs> only 2%, but only 60% of that. <laughs> but um, so the point is, is you've got government-funded projects expanding the internet for open access, 
You've got um, open source projects expanding the internet, all about open access, and you have the capitalistic marketplace innovating in that space. But then you get into this idea that, well, these people are taking up too much bandwidth, and that's costing me too much money, and I'm supposed to be providing this service, and now it's being derailed by this. So now we have this debate of, um, are people able to privately control the pipeline? Can you squeeze the pipeline, in other words? Because you happen to have control of it from a private sector standpoint. I mean, is that the core of the... Yeah, that's, ex- that's it exactly. Um, and it's interesting, like, because like, philosophically, looking at capitalism, usually less regulation is better, but once you get above a certain size, like, you have to have some regulation. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can't have, we can't go back now. I mean, the internet has become infrastructure. You know, I, I talk about that all the time. Internet as infrastructure. It's not like a, a cool thing, an added feature, a bonus, a, something you might have if you want to pay some extra. I mean, I mean, do you think it's as, um, as, as much of a, a right to access as, like, you know, utilities and stuff, like water? I think like- we're getting there if we're not already there. I mean, I, I say that all the time when I speak, you know. I always just kind of jokingly say, just because it's a quip kind of say, you know, there's water, sewer, and internet. You know, just to make drive the point home that you can't have an economy in your town if you don't have robust internet access, because the the new economy is based on um, connectivity. And so, while you could say, okay, well, it's fine, you know, and, and also that brings up the whole notion of the digital divide. You know, I mean, we have a client that deals with uh, huge amounts of the population. It's, a, it's an entire school district, a giant school district. And they will say at the top, uh, they will say there's no digital divide, not the way that we imagine it. Because people have phones and old phones and they can jump on Wi-Fi and they can, everybody's got some device that they can jump on the internet only if there's some public internet infrastructure. But if it becomes like you have to pay um, and you have to pay more to get off dial-up, and you have to pay more to get, you know, then it becomes, uh, you start to create more of a digital divide. And then you have this digital divide where you have the middle class on a certain type of internet, and the upper class on a certain type of internet. Right. You know? and, um, as a, a comparison to that, uh, or an analogy, the, the government's creation of our highway system was like, uh, was crucial for our development in a lot of ways. That's a great comparison, and that in the railroads as well. I mean, but I, I don't... Wasn't the railroads mostly private? Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't know a lot about the railroads, but it would be interesting to see how that development happened because a lot of it was like Union Pacific and all these companies that did a lot of private uh, development. I, you know, look at what Comporium's doing here in Rock Hill. They're laying down crazy fiber to do one gigabit speed internet, and they are footing the bill, and they're laying it down. Now, the city's working with them very much so in terms of um, digging up the streets and and all kinds of stuff. And so, what's the incentive for Comporium to do that if they're not going to make a lot of money from doing it? They, they need to. Right. And that's the good part of capitalism, that they would have the incentive to like do something that's going to improve something for everybody because it, al- it aligns with their strategic goals and, and right. they'll be more successful. Right. But if they were to then use that position to squeeze and deny access to content and create elaborate, uh, I don't know, access points and stuff, it goes back, the pendulum swings back to like, are we now dealing with basic access and, and infrastructure for that everyone should have access to? You know? That's interesting. What do you think about that, Chris? I would definitely begin looting and rioting. That's what I would. That's, be, that would be, be my reaction. You would begin alluding. I would be alluding it. You'd be like Zeus. <laughs> my, my my looting the and rosy ro- fingers of dawn. 
I would I would be making some nasty like, comments. They did that in Goon. They did that yeah. in Goonies. <laughs> I would be I would be furious that I didn't have access to the web so that I could make uh, smarmy comments about how my the pipeline was was squozing. Squozing. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to type the word squozing anyway. So uh, talking about making smarmy comments, um, you know. It seems like the internet, you know, this is a total change of direction, but it seems like um, the internet has become a place to just make the most ridiculous comments about anything and not have a real grip on how offensive and ridiculous your comment is. Yeah. Um, Another place that's happening is on podcasts. Exactly. (laughs) I've heard of people doing that. You know, so, you know, it, it, all, you know, the, the newspapers that at the bottom people make just horrible comments. You know, we have clients, we deal with that kind of stuff, and people say the most ridiculous, horrible things. And, you know, that culture is part of what makes the internet a, a hugely powerful thing. You, you, know, you have to take the good with the bad. I saw this guy, this TED talk, where he was talking about um, everything increases when you go into cities, everything. You have uh, more wealth, but you have more poverty. You have more health and you have more sickness, you have more innovation and you have more... You, know, you have more art but you have more poop in the streets. Exactly. Art and poop in the streets is a perfect uh, uh, yeah, symbiotism. Symbioticism. several words this episode. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you look at what the internet, how the internet has changed, it's kind of like urbanization. Like, you can't go back. You can't de-urbanize. You know, and we, once we get access to the internet, once it becomes part of our culture and we see all this horrible stuff that's out there but yet amazingly wonderful stuff that's out there on the internet you can't go back yeah that's just a component of the fact that the internet is you know ultimately a giant communication between human beings and a cesspool yeah but so that means that you're going to get those people who are communicating really interesting things and then you're going to get i mean it's like the idea of like that people are like nasty or whatever on the internet i mean like it's just like it's a conversational like social thing you know it's just like the way like growing up if there was no internet it wouldn't change the fact that some people develop socially um, out of insecurity or whatever it's 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 safe and it's easy to take this particular thing and you always know well I'm always gonna be a jerk about stuff on the internet I'm always gonna be always gonna make these jokes and it's it's just it's mindless but it's it's just part of just the social mechanics of of humans you know And, and the fact that it's on the internet is and I mean, the thing is, it's like, and I, early on, I mean, I definitely think that the early web could be defined. It was for a lot of people, it was like a bathroom wall. It was like the, the novelty that they could be anonymous, which is really funny because that was the start of people doing and saying things at, at random just because it was anonymous. And then now, now, now no, it's completely not anonymous. And, 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 and it's so strange. Like, anonymity is no longer a thing on the internet. You have people don't just know your name, they know what you had for breakfast and what time you got to work. And then yet you still are this completely like there are people who are, who are you know open to being completely just just horribly like nasty people on the internet because well, it's part also, of that. There's also anonymity and just being like a tiny voice in a huge wash of right information. Right, yeah, because so. yeah, at this point, I mean, yeah, like if you if you take on this stereotypical Facebook, YouTube comment uh, voice of like I'm gonna be really violent and mean. It isn't. It doesn't even really look like you anymore. It's you're, you're tapping into that stereotypical, like mean, sarcastic, um, grammatically crazy voice. There's been some examples where, um, you know, people have said some things and gotten a lot of trouble. Like, um, 
people that made bomb threats and said horrible things about threatening to kill other people. And in the context of the whatever they were in, you know, on a, a feed or a Facebook, you know, a posting or a series or something, Twitter or whatever they were, whatever they were, even in a chat room, let's say, um, whatever it was. What the hell is in the context of that, it might seem normal, or it might seem just a little bit over the top where it would make everybody laugh. Like, it's just that much more crude than the horribly other crude things that other people are saying. And in that context, it might be somewhat harmless. When taken out of context, and then like printed in the paper or something, it seems um, like awful. It seems soulless and awful. Yeah. Yeah, haven't, we, haven't we quoted the, uh, the Bright Eye song before about uh, what was normal last night is I don't know something. I'm sorry, I'm horrible. I don't actually remember the lyrics. But yeah, the point is that I mean that perspective that you do and say certain things <laughs> that when, then when you have a new perspective on it, you realize how just like despicable those things are. Yeah. And I mean, and that's just what's normal in the evening in the morning seems insane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that's part of that. It's it, and it's like the way that like it always pains me when I see people react. Uh, to something as if, and they take it, you know, deeply personal, and, and they can't just chalk it up to that great abyss of anonymity, whatever it is, you know. Um, I, I, I'm going to digress here and talk about George Lucas. I think it's, it's, you know, he's there's an example of someone who, who took this like new weird culture of like people, and we've talked about this before too. This this assumption that if I can, you know, slag this stuff and say it's horrible, then I'm probably gonna come off like I'm smart and know what I'm talking about. And I think a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon and are like, George Lucas is the worst person ever because he made these movies that ruined my childhood, da 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 And when you see the guy, when he's like signing his property over to, to Disney and he looks like completely heartbroken and he just doesn't care, and he's he's actually been vocal about, he's like, why would I make more Star Wars movies when everybody hates me? hates you you know like why, why would I do that if everyone's just gonna hate me you know like that's that's sad I, I hate that I think that if he was if he was born you know whatever 30 40 years later than he was I, I don't think he would react to things that way you know Probably he, not. Yeah. No, he would be like point. M. Night Shyamalan he would be turning out crap and going home and being like they don't get it you know I'm a genius well there's sensitive people born in every era so uh, well I have a question are we in a chat room right now yes this is this room so that we're is, in this yeah. millstone room is a chat room I guess we better be careful what we say then. Before the internet started, <laughs> I, used, I, I rented a room and I used to invite people to come sit in it and we would chat. Was the chat room? No. I'm going to make no attempt to connect anything that we talked about to anything else we talked about, but I will say this. Um, the internet as infrastructure is a big theme with me and with us and, and it's a big part of the future economy. and. You know, the fact that it's been developed on open platforms and, and pushed in the public sector and yet it's been innovated on constantly by the private sector um, is a beautiful thing. And if, and if one side gets too much kind of power in that ba delicate balance, it could, it could have huge implications on, on our economy and our future. And, and um, you know, it's great that in this country we have unfettered access to the Internet. You look at what happens in other countries where they shut down Twitter and all this stuff, trying to control people and control thought. Even though, you know, we have uh, piles and piles of horrible comments about George Lucas on YouTube and lots of wasted bits and bites, um, it's just part of what you get when you, when you kind of um, unsquoze the, uh, the pipes of the internet. So I would say we should unsqueeze the pipes. Because you take the good, Take the bad. You take them both. And there you have. I think 
I wish we had a camera on Robin just now. That was priceless. He is the, is the facts of life, guys. Robin has no idea. I wasn't allowed to watch sitcoms when I was a kid. Oh, wow. That's a whole other podcast right there. Yeah. Panic attack. <laughs> Robin just freaked out. I would, wait, I'll just say that uh, what Ian Simonia said, which is power to the people. Yeah. Right. That's how that song ends. It was a sitcom. I don't remember that episode. <laughs> remember when Blair was like power to the people? No. I'm joking. I joke. Uh, Anywho. Gossip Girl? <laughs> no. Okay, good.